Hey, good evening, everyone. Welcome to another podcast episode of The Daily Mind. It is I, your host, giving you another half hour of complete, utter nonsense, like I usually do. Um, How was everybody's uh, hump day going? It's Wednesday. Um, I didn't do an episode yesterday, and I was actually um, not going to do an episode today either. But given the opportunity, my guests are out right now. And as mentioned before, they have kids. So, you know, me trying to do an episode with like kids running around is not going to happen. So I'm taking advantage of the downtime um, and knocking this out before they come back. Um, so, yeah, Wednesday, we're halfway through the week. Uh, I'm pretty sure you guys have been hearing about the news about um, Takeshi 69 <laughs> He got his ass whooped at the gym at LA Fitness of all places. I'm not even sure how that came about. Usually this man has um, security around him normally. And, you know, lately now he's been branded as a a certified snitch. So he's got a target on his back no matter where he goes. But I don't know what happened, some sort of slip of judgment with his uh, crew, his entourage or whatever. But somebody caught this dude lacking and whipped his ass in the bathroom of the L.A. Fitness. I mean, yeah, he was a, it was a one kidney shot that I heard in that whole beat done. I was like, God damn. I mean, it was only going to catch up to him now, but I think now he's going to have to like really watch his back where he goes. So, you know, with, with that being said, of course, that starts off with beefs and stuff and, and rap and shit like that. And of course, past skeletons that are not always exactly hidden. Right. I'm pretty sure he um, he when he came out, he had such a persona. Right. Like he was one not to be messed with. But that's like a lot of typical rappers when they come out and stuff like that. But, um, you know, life imitates art. Art imitates life. Uh, This would be a perfect example of that. So a lot of the shit he put out there is coming back and it's not coming back in a good way. But it made me think over time. um, Hip hop has always been a a thing of feuds. I mean, like any um, any genre of music, there's always some sort of a feud or whatever. But and, and hip hop is way more prolific. And not only that, it actually has cost some lives too. I mean, for all we like, these guys that that beat Takashi could have fucking killed him right there on the spot, you know. Because I'm telling you, the man has a dar- a target on his back so large, and yet this man sometimes is an open like. He just, I guess, he doesn't give a fuck. He's just out in the open and stuff like that. And like I said, where was his entourage? Where was his security when this happened, right? So I was looking up a list of hip hop feuds and beefs, right? Because sometimes shit gets a little bit more out of control, a little bit beyond lyrics, and it's going to require a little bit of extra uh, security, maybe a few extra tools along the way to kind of get you from getting got. So I was looking up this um, this list on Complex, and it's a list of the top hip-hop beefs of all time, uh, biggest hip-hop feuds, if you will. And it's a really, really interesting list with a little bit of a background to these particular feuds. Right. I know you've heard like LL and Cannabis, 50 and and John ja Rule and the list goes on and on and on. Sometimes they they're they're fabricated beefs to sell records and then some are just real, real beefs. You know, like I said, hip hop has always been like like the, the beefs and shit was just all out there. And of course, the infamous East Coast, West Coast thing, too. I mean, that that came with some pretty uh, deadly results. From it, but I'm gonna go through the list the best way and fastest way possible. Read a little bit of each, so that way I could fit it within this block of time. So the first one I'm gonna read here says uh, the Beastie Boys versus Russell Simmons. As you know, the Beastie Boys was like they were seen as a novelty act because you know rap was still rap, hip hop was still fairly young. Then you got these white dudes, 
and it looked almost like a gimmick, but they weren't really a gimmick. I mean, they really came out with some hits. They were the first rap group, group to play a beat backwards, uh, Paul Revere. Um, they came up with the idea of playing, I forgot what the hell the track was, but they played it backwards. They were the first to ever do that. And their beat is sampled so many times over. But it says here, one of the most eye-opening revelations from the Beastie Boys recently, uh, recent Apple TV Plus documentary, was that their relationship with Def Jam co-founder Russell Simmons was surprisingly acrimonious. In the late 1980s, following the wild success of the band's first rap album, Licensed to Ill, Def Jam will held royalty payments to get the group back in the studio. The results was a disaster for the label. The boys left for Capitol Records and spent almost three decades churning out hits. Uh, Simmons has opened up about his relationship with the group since the documentary's release. He goes on to say, for years, I wish I had been more sensitive, smarter, and compassionate in my dealings with them. And Sony, he wrote on Instagram, I just wasn't mature, sensitive, or human enough to do better. I mean, you got to think of it as a time, too. Um, rap and hip-hop was very novel. So it was up and coming. A lot of people seen it as a fad. People didn't know how to manage this, this new energy, this new music, you know, the new talent that came with this. It wasn't, it was different from like rock. It was different from like R&B. It was like, there's a lot of shit. I can understand like Russell at that time, just being immature. Of course, now he's a more mature man, but you know, just think of how much more he could have done with the Beastie Boys if he just paid them their fucking money. You know what I mean? And that's really what a lot of these things come down to is money. Most of the times when it comes to these beefs and these feuds. Um, this next one, T.I. versus Lil Flip. Now I heard a little bit about this back in the 2000s. I don't really know what that fuck they were beefing over, but we know who who has the career, who still has a career of sorts, T.I., which I don't know if he's really like churning out any music anymore. But it says in the early 2000s, Atlanta rapper T.I. audaciously proclaimed himself the king of the South. Other Southern rappers disagreed, most notably Houston's Lil Flip, who said as much in 2004 while T.I. was incarcerated. T.I. didn't like that Flip badmouthed him while he was behind bars, so he and his entourage marched into Flip's Cloverland neighborhood in 2005. Of course, a brawl ensued, shots were fired, and T.I. announced on Houston Radio that he had filmed the whole melee. The video was set to be released with the next mixtape. That never, that release never arrived. Houston artist James Prince bought Flip and T.I. together, and the beef was squashed not long after the brawl. And if I'm not mistaken, Lil Flip was actually sued um, by Namco, the guys behind Pac-Man, because when he came out with that song, Game Over, he used a soundbite from Pac-Man throughout the song and got sued for it. What a fucking clown. All right, so Royce the 5'9 versus D12. It says, Royce the 5'9 and Eminem have worked together for decades. Since their respective beginnings in the Detroit rap scene, they didn't stop Royce from feuding with M's D12 collective in the early 2000s. The diminutive rapper released three diss tracks against the squad, Shit On You, which focused on D12 member Bizarre, Malcolm X, and Def Day. D12 responded with SmackDown, and member Proof, rest in peace, added the solo track Many Men. He also collaborated with the Purple Gang on his third diss track, Beef Is Over. Now, both are not really doing much anymore. I, mean, I don't know if Royce to 5 is doing shit. D12 has been disassembled, disassembled a long time ago. I haven't heard shit from D12 in God knows how long. But it seemed like Royce the 5'9 and, and D12, that seemed more like a local Detroit beef thing. And I guess they kind of like squashed it. It didn't like reach heights of like Nas and Jay-Z. But I'm pretty sure for that era or that area of Detroit, I'm pretty sure it was a big deal. Me, I didn't pay too much time, too much to it. Now this shit here, this ended this man's career with one track. Eminem versus Machine Gun Kelly. God, when he came out with that song, he literally 
Uh, he literally killed fucking like Machine Gun Kelly never recovered from that. He no longer does hip hop. Now he dressed with makeup and fucking um, painted nails and shit. Like that man is not the same. It says this was the beef that rocked trailer parks across the nation, a sizzling feud that divided people who bleached their hair 20 years ago and people who bleach their hair today. Uh, officially, it started with Eminem, the only retirement age whiny teen in America, dissed Cleveland rapper Machine Gun Kelly on the song Not Alike off Kamikaze. Unofficially, it started six years earlier in 2012 when Kelly tweeted that Eminem's daughter was hot. Kelly's response, Rap Devil suggested perhaps truthfully that Eminem is old and uncool. M's almost instantaneous rebuttal kill shy claimed that Kelly was untalented and incapable of matching his success. Probably also true. Nobody was really sure who won this beef until last year when Young Thug declared on Instagram that Kelly had murdered M. Bullshit. No, Killshot instantly murdered Machine Gun Kelly. You, ever since then, have you heard another fucking rap out, a rap song from Machine Gun Kelly? Case closed. No, you have not. And you probably will never, ever hear it again. Because, yes, he had that one track against Eminem. But Eminem came out with Killshot and the shit was over. So I would say Eminem is clearly the winner of that one. Um, this next one, 50 Cent versus Young Buck. Again, this is within the, the confines of G-Unit. Young Buck wasn't, um, <clears throat> he wasn't one of the original members. He just somewhat came out of nowhere from Nashville, as he called Cashville. Um, but we all know the three original members of G-Unit, which is uh, 50 Cent, Tony Banks, I mean, Tony, uh, Tony Yayo, and um, Floyd Banks. It says, if there's one lesson to be learned from this list is that you shouldn't get too close to 50 Cent. Whether, the, whether you are a rival or a label mate, 50 is always ready for the beef. Young Buck is walking, breathing endorsement off this lesson. He was an early member of G-Unit who featured prominently on the group's mixtapes and videos, but by 20, uh, 2008, he was in 50's bad books. He didn't appear on the mixtape Return of the Body Snatchers, and in April, 50 unceremoniously dropped them from the group on Hot 97. Just months later, 50 le released, uh, he leaked a recorded conversation in which Buck pleaded for forgiveness, and Buck responded with the diss track, taped conversation. After several years of calm, 50 reignited the feud in 2019 by claiming Buck had a relationship with a trans woman. Since then, G-Unit Boss has released a string of transphobic and homophobic comments um, interspersed with uh, petty disses about Buck's financial situation. The latest shot in the feud came from Buck, who said in 2020 that 50 didn't want his G-Unit artists to match his solo success. Yeah, it's fucked up. 50 even to this day, is still beefing with John Rule. You guys are too fucking old for this shit. Why? You guys are damn near in your 50s, and you still think this is like the early 2000s. Now, both have made very successful post-rap careers because they're not really coming out with any rap songs anymore. But at the same time, like, you made your money. You got other projects. Move on. Like, put that shit aside. That was like in the, that was so long ago. You guys are too old for that shit. Um, this next one, Jada Kids versus Beanie Siegel. I didn't even know this was a thing. No, no, no. Yes, yes. I did hear diss tracks from these two. This was a thing. At the same time that Jay-Z and Nas were feuding in 2001, Jay-Z's Philly-bred protege, Beanie Siegel, was engaged in an almost as vicious beef with Jadakiss and his Yonker-based crew, The Locks. Jay-Z might be the root cause of this beef. He replaced Jadakiss on two high-profile remixes, Maya's The Best of Me and then R. Kelly's Fiesta, which was released in 20, uh, 2001. Later that year, Beanie fired the first official shot to the war, um, on his track, Beanie Mac Bitch, um, Jadakiss replied almost immediately to uh-huh of uh, Kiss the Game Goodbye. Beanie responded on the Rockefeller mixtape, and Jada came right back on streets, Street Wars, The Problem Child. And then, of course, the feud intensified in uh, 2001 when Jada dissed Beanie in the freestyle. 
at an event in Beanie's hometown. Beanie heard about the disc, headed for the venue, jumped on the stage, and responded with his own acapella. Later, Beanie delivered his own freestyle disc on Rap City and then on Hot 97. Then the feud simmered down. Beanie left Rockefeller and later fired shots at his ex-boss while a member of 50 Cent's G-Unit. Uh, his beef with Jada was officially squashed in the mid-2000s when the pair appeared together on DJ Khaled's debut album. Just petty shit. It's just really petty shit. And Jay-Z, the funny thing about this is, like, all the artists Jay-Z had in Rock and uh, Rockefeller, gone. He just completely, like, fucking left them in the dirt. Beanie Siegel is like, I don't know what the fuck he's doing. Like, he's, I think he's not... From what last thing I've heard, he lives in Philly. I'm not sure if he still has his hand somewhere in the music industry. But you don't hear much from him. But he was actually, like, one of my favorite rappers in uh, 2000. His shit was pretty pretty raw as far as his lyrics. Um, and I don't know. The 2000s was a strange time, man. The 90s into the 2000s was... There's a lot of feuds. There's a lot of things happening. Um, this next one, I'm just not even going to read too much into this. French Montana versus Young Thug. I mean, it just says, uh, in April 2020, French Montana said in an interview with Complex that he might outshine Kendrick Lamar if they ever shared a festival stage. A dubious claim later on Twitter, he clarified that he wasn't taking shots at the L.A. wordsmith. He simply believed that he had more hits. He doesn't. So, I mean, that's kind of like, oh, I got more hits than you. I mean, all you got to do is show the catalog, show the numbers, show the sales. You'll know right there and there who's who has more hits. But I'm pretty sure it was just more of a dick measuring contest than anything. And I'm going to skip. I don't know. This next one, it says, um, I'm not going to read it too much in this one. I'm going to read some of the more prominent ones. But this one was ASAP Rocky versus Space Ghost Perp. I know who ASAP Rocky is. I don't know who the fuck Space Ghost Perp is. So I'm not even going to bother reading this particular beef. But if for some of you that are listening, if you heard about this, great good for you i've never heard this shit and i'm just keeping must uh keep it moving this next one yg versus dj mustard dj mustard i'm not even gonna go there but apparently these two had a uh between producer and a rapper dj mustard and yg um it says that the most recognizable names in the new wave of la artists briefly feuded in the mid 2010s the beef was a major setback for both men. Mustard was instrumental in creating YG sound, and YG's success helped propel Mustard to current hit-making stature. So here you go. You got a rapper, and you got a producer. The producer makes beats for rapper. Rapper has beef with the producer. Producer has beef with the rapper. So they're basically a double KO. They're basically fucking each other over. Now, the producer is the most important part of rap because the producer is the one that do the beats. A good beat helps to make a good song. When you couple that with good lyrics, hard-hitting lyrics, with a good beat, you make magic happen. But when you got these two entities going against each other, that's a problem. And they had to figure that shit out themselves. And they see that, you know, they both basically needed each other. Sometimes you could do this. A beef can be squashed. A beef can be squashed. This next one was um, MC8 versus DJ Quick. I guess this is more like a um, an LA, California, NWA type shit. Um, and it said here, it started when Quick subtly did CMW NWA on his debut mixtape. Remember, when 50 came out, he came out with um, How to Rob, right? This man came out of nowhere with this, and he did just about every person in the fucking industry. He just came and woke up, just came straight for violence, like, People were like, who the fuck is this guy? And why, why is he going after everybody's throats? I remember when How to Rob came out. I heard it on a mixtape. 
think it might have been a mixtape on Hot 97 at the time in New York. And I was like, oh, shit, he was just going after everyone. And nobody knew who 50 Cent was. But that helped put his name on the map. If you haven't heard the song um, by 50, How to Rob, um, I implore you to go listen to it somewhere on some platform or even like listen to it on YouTube or whatever. And it will all make sense how that shit, how he came to be. Um, Dr. Dre versus Luke and others. Hmm. I didn't even know that was a fucking beef. Shit, you know, you know Luke is still alive? Yeah, I know. That's crazy, too. LL Cool J versus Cool Mo D. Okay, this is an interesting one because this is, you know, these guys are 80s. So let's see how that, let's see. It says, um, <clears throat> whenever we talk about an aging or established celebrity, it is easy to forget that they, too, were once up and comers. Take LL, for example. Today, he's one of rap's kindly grandpas. In the late 80s, he was the new kid on the block a brash phenom with a penchant for getting under older head skin. Cool Modi was one of those older heads. He and MC Shan thought LL had jacked their style, and Mo didn't like LL's refusal to pay homage to his predecessors. So in timeless rapper style, he took a shot at the youngster on How You Like Me Now. The rivalry that ensued lasted decades, with the high point being LL's seminal hit, Mama Said Knock You Out. So that's what inspired that song. I didn't know that was like, Based on a beef with Kumo D, I'm telling you, the more you learn, the more you learn. And it's crazy because Kumo D and when LL was introducing Kumo D wasn't even that much apart from each other in terms of timeline. So I don't know what he means by paying homage to older cats. When you guys literally came out in the same decade, it'd be different if LL came out, let's say, in the 2000s and you got Kumo D that come out in the 80s. That's a whole different story. But you guys both came out within a couple of years, a few years apart. I don't see how that's paying homage to any of the old heads when you guys literally came out about the same fucking time. So I was a little confused to that. Um, like, how did that come to be? I think it might even came off like jealousy. You know, LL was this good-looking, young, handsome, brand-new face. You know, Kumo D, to some women, probably wasn't much to look at. But, you know, it was, it was just like, yo, who's this young, pretty dude, you know, Come in here, change your things up. And I think that's probably what it came to be. And it seems like that throughout generations where you get a new style, a new artist that come and just change everything. And, you know, you get the older guys that's like, come on, what the fuck? That's not rap. Like, what is this? You know what I mean? But change is change is good. Change is bad. You know, it depends on how you see. But just know the game is always going to change. Remember, rap went from wearing baggy pants to wearing now tight ass pants. Maybe one day I'll go back to baggy pants. But you see what I mean? Things come and go. Um, this next one here, um, I don't know who the fuck Stormzy and Wiley is, so I'm going to skip it. Um, Drake versus Chris Brown. Ooh. I mean, they're kind of both in the same category, but Drake is a hybrid. He can he can sing and he can rap. Chris Brown just sing. It says, Drake and Chris Brown seem like a natural fit in the early stages of their careers. Both veered more towards R&B than rap and had aspirations of acceptance within the rap community. In 2010, the pair performed together, recorded together, hit the club together, and sat courtside together at ball games. By late uh, 2011, cracks in the relationship had emerged around Brown's ex, Rihanna. Mm. Rumors circulated that Brown and Drake were no longer on good terms. The almost simultaneous releases of Drake and Rihanna's Take Care and Brown and Rihanna's Birthday Cake complicated matters further. It all came to a head in June 2012 at the WIP Club in New York. 
The musicians' entourages toss bottles at each other and exchange words. Brown suffered a minor in- injury, a boo-boo, if you will. Um, they've been on and off again relationships since then. They were in the studio together and shot a skit for the ESPYs in 2014, but Brown took Meek Mill's side in the beef with Drake in 2016. By 2018, the bromance was back in bloom, and in 2019, Drake appeared on Brown's song, No Guidance. Just to think this was over Rihanna. Okay, now you might, I might catch flack with this, but Rihanna's overrated. I mean, she is not, she's, she, she's pretty, but she's not worth fighting over. I think that, that shit's ridiculous. If you beefing over a woman, stop. Just stop. It's not worth it. You're gonna, you, you're literally putting your career on the line for a woman. And vice versa. Women does this shit, do this shit for men. But you always hear men do this more for women. And I'm like, you know, there's like, you know, the odds, the, the ratio to women to men, like it's favorable. It's in men's favor. Like you're going to find, you can find somebody else and better looking, but you know, it's Rihanna, I guess. Uh, this next one is uh, the Migos versus Joe Budden. I fucking hate Joe Budden. This man pokes at everything and everybody. He's old. Yes. But I... <laughs> I'll read this real quick. I got about nine minutes. It says Joe Budden has built a reputation on incendiary comments and questionable culture takes. Uh, the man who first achieved mainstream fame with his 2003 banger "Pump It Up," one hit wonder, uh, now spends his days eviscerating the new generation of hip hop stars. In 2017, his main adversary was Migos. Why Migos? Let's see. Uh, it says. Uh, that June, Budden interviewed Quavo, take off an offset in the BET Awards red carpet. The clip went viral. Budden's co-host, DJ Academics, repeatedly asked Takeoff why he was left off the group's breakout hit, Bad and Bougie. Takeoff pushed back, and Budden unceremoniously walked off the set. Things immediately got heated. Later that year, Quavo took shots at Budden on Ice Tray off the Quality Control, Control the Streets Volume 1 compilation album. Budden responded on Everyday Struggle and on Twitter. It was the younger head that eventually took the higher ground in this feud. Quavo told Apple's Beats one host, Ebro Darden, that the group harbored, quote, a no hard feeling with Joe. And in December of last year, the beef was officially squashed when Budden posted a picture of himself and Quavo on Instagram. Oh, that's cute. Because come on, let's be real. Like, again, it's old heads that can't take change. We see these new guys that like, who's this? And, and this whole thing ensued. You gotta, you got, you may not respect the process on how things change, but you gotta just, you just gotta let it happen. You, you mean, Joe Budden, you had your time. And somebody else have their time. That's just how that works. It's just passing the torch to the next generation. This next beef here, this one was a hot one. Uh, LL Cool J versus Cannabis. LL Cool J, I can tell you right now, clearly won that beef off the book. It said, today LL is a cordial figure a smiling mound of human who seems profoundly happy with his success, which is very much true. Good for him. It's fun to remember, though, that Ella was pretty ferocious MC in his day and side he gleefully showed in his long-lived feud with Cannabis. Remember Cannabis? Me neither. But he was a central figure in a beef that spanned almost two decades. It started in 97 when Ella thought Cannabis dissed him on his track 4321. Ella responded on the same song. In 1998, Cannabis released a blunter insult with Second Round Knockout, his, his only top 40 single. And Cool J returned fire back on both The Ripper Strikes Back and Back Where I Belong. The pair squashed their beef at a Christmas party at a Brooklyn event in 2014. Yeah, LL fucking bodied Cannabis. And then Eminem had a beef with Cannabis. I remember that too because he came out with a song called Cannabis and killed Cannabis. So he died twice. 
How do you die twice? I, I don't know. I don't know what cannabis is doing nowadays either, but he just, just don't dis. He should not try to diss people. He died twice. Okay, so the next one. Um, oh, wow, I didn't know this was a beef. Mob Deep versus Tupac. Mob Deep versus Tupac. When you think about rap beefs, you think about Pac versus Biggie, but Notorious wasn't Pac's only rival. The late hip-hop legend was embroiled in a number of secondary feuds, perhaps notably with New York's heavyweight Mob Deep. The Mob Deep Tupac beef was one of the many battle lines in the far-reaching war between hip-hop's East Coast and West Coast communities. It started, well, it reportedly started when members of Pac's Outlaws group were snubbed at a Mob Deep concert. Tupac unleashed fury on the duel. He attacked them on Hit Em Up, where we ride on our enemies, bomb first, and against all odds. Mob Deep replied with Drop a Gem on him from the 96 album Hell on Earth. Havoc and Prodigy may have been unwillingly, unwilling participants in this particular feud. In a discussion with Jack's Thriller, Havoc said they never met Tupac and were in fact friends. That's an odd one. I've never heard that. I've never heard Tupac having beef with Mob Deep. This is the first I've ever heard of this. But I'm telling you, there are so many. We, we look at the primary beefs, but we don't look at the secondary shit. Because, I mean, like, you're taking on a whole industry. Kind of sounds familiar? Takeshi, 6'9". That's exactly. This man tried to take on everyone. And I know I'm running out of time, but I'm going to read through a couple of more. Uh, Gucci Mane versus Waka Flocka. 3-6 um, Mafia versus Bone Thugs and Harmony. Mm, that's, a, that's kind of a crazy one right there. Big Boy versus Killer Mike. Uh, MC Light versus Antoinette. This is a good one because a lot of female MCs is not a lot, but they there's some female beefs. It says um, MC Light is a trailblazer. In 1988, she became the first solo female rapper to release a full length album, Light as a Rock. But her elevated perch in the hip hop hierarchy didn't stop her from clashing with rivals. On Light as a Rock, she took aim at Antoinette, whose debut single "I Got an Attitude" sounded a little too similar to Top Billet, a track by Light's label mates Audio Two. Antoinette wasn't intimidated by the rap icon. She responded with lights out, party over. MC Light came back with shut him up, shut the F up, ho. And Antoinette had the final word with unfinished business. Although short-lived, the clash between Antoinette and MC Light carried on the proud tradition of female-powered rap beefs established by the Roxanne Wars. So remember the Roxanne Wars was Roxanne Shantae and another Roxanne. I could have sworn it was probably like three fucking Roxannes beefing with each other at that particular time. But uh, this next one here, Gucci Mane versus Young Jeezy. Uh, Mace versus Cameron. Oh, God, this was a silly ass one. You know, now these two actually have a podcast show on uh, YouTube. It's actually a pretty interesting show. I've seen a snippet of the episode that they had. And um, yeah, they were just two completely different rappers, too. But yeah, they, they made amends with each other. Again, you get old and you put shit behind you and you realize that some shit is just really fucking silly. Uh, Kumo D versus Busy B. Uh, Drake versus Pusha Pusha T. Uh, let's see, Trip Trippy Red versus Takeshi Six Nine. That's one of Takeshi Six Nine's uh, rivals is Trippy Red. Again, the list goes on and on for Takeshi Six Nine. Uh, Ice Cube versus Common. Wow, really? Little Kim versus Foxy Brown. That's another female beef right there. Foxy Brown and Little Kim coexisted for as long as possible. They were friends in high school. They appeared together in magazine covers. They even collaborated on songs in the early stages of their careers, despite affiliations with rival crews. But by the release of their debut albums in 96, the relationship was strained. In 97, a planned joint album was canceled. Can you imagine these two with a joint album? You know how big that would have been? 
But remember, too, female rappers were still somewhat of the novelty. You know, Roxanne Shante wasn't doing much of shit anymore. MC Light was just kind of fizzling out. So they were just like the new faces of, of rap. And it was just, it was not just a, a, a battle of lyrics. It was a battle who looked better, too, honestly. Lil' Kim, I think, definitely won that prize. But you see what she did to herself lately. Not good. Lauren Hill versus Wyclef Jean. Eminem versus The Source. Yeah, remember he had that beef with Benzino. And then The Bridge Wars, Roxanne Wars, uh, Lil Wayne versus Birdman, Cardi B versus Nicki Minaj, 50 Cent versus The Game, NWA versus Ice Cube, Drake versus Meek Mill, 50 Cent versus Ja Rule, <laughs> uh, Nas versus Jay-Z, Tupac Shakur versus Biggie, and that's some of the, that's literally a list of 40 um, top feuds. But yeah. The Jay-Z and Nas shit with Ether and and the other, whatever the fuck uh, Jay-Z came out with was, whew, man, that had Hot 97 jumping at the time. I mean, jumping. Had, that's the paramount age of, of radio. You know, Funkmaster Flex is the biggest instigator out there. He would drop a bomb on everything, just get the city going. I mean, that was a good time. All right, so, hey, thanks for listening to the Daily Mind Podcast. Uh Rest in peace to Takashi 69 Let me stop playing. No, he's not dead, but shit. It's amazing that he is not dead yet. I'm telling you right now, there are more people after him. The shit is not a game. If you got a beef, squash it, especially if it's over absolutely nothing. And especially, especially if it's over a female, it's not worth it. Not worth it. But no, seriously, thanks for listening to this podcast. I do appreciate it as usual. Thanks for taking a half hour of your existence to listen to this. And um, I will keep pumping out episodes as I go, as long as I get listeners. All right, so hey, um, enjoy the rest of your evening. Look forward to the weekend. And again, you got a beef, squash it. All right, so hey, thanks for listening. Have a great night.